Let's talk, though, to Matthew Said, Sunday Times columnist, author of Rebel Ideas. wrote a fascinating piece at the weekend um, with regard to the royal situation, with regard to Harry, William and the whole story, the whole sorry saga. Uh, and we thought it would be interesting to get his take on it all. Matthew, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Thank you, Mike. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy Mike. New Year to you. I mean, you make a very good point in the piece that we don't really know these people. We'll probably never really know them. But but I've been I've been sort of fascinated and repelled at the same time by the way that its whole story has gripped not just the nation, but the world. And, and I, I've concluded that it's because we're sort of endlessly fascinated with people that we will never know who appear to live lives that we'll never live. Yeah, it's interesting. I have to confess probably not a good confession for a, a professional journalist. I haven't watched the series and I haven't read the book. I Me find neither. It over, oh, good for you. <laughs> Overwhelmingly uninteresting. Yeah. Uh, but occasionally you have to comment on these things. Yes. And, you know, it struck me, and you may feel the same, that occasionally doing TV interviews back in the old days when you used to do it actually in the studio, mm. you would often be asked to wait in a green room. Yes. Where people would have a cup of coffee before going on air and when you're in a green room you sometimes do meet public figures famous people actors you know authors uh, politicians and you would chat for a few minutes and you perhaps might get to know uh, their commercial agent or somebody else who knows them and there was almost a complete gap between their public image and the private reality yeah. and that's been true of some famous people i've got to know very well so one very lovely thing that's happened in the last few years is i've become very close friends uh with the comedian john cleese mm. and when i first met him i assumed he was cantankerous egotistical uh, because partly the public image right. he's actually a lovely decent generous spirited uh man and mm. um and it strikes me, what really hit me hardest, Mike, is the level of confidence that people have when saying Harry's an absolutely nasty piece of mm. work and William's lovely, or the other way round. Yeah. You know, at least, you know, have a little bit of a sense that we don't truly know them. And what we do see is highly um, engineered by PR and marketing and all sorts of other things. Mm. No, you're right. And, and I mean, I think the fact is that we tend to do that more nowadays because there is a much more kind of, um, you know, black and white way of looking at the world, it seems now. I mean, I remember being told when I first got into radio uh, by an old, wise old hand, he said, it's much better not to interview people in person in the studio because you'll find it much more difficult to be horrible to them. <laughs> and actually, uh, actually, in my case, it's not it's not true because I can be horrible to you whether you're on, on Zoom or sitting here. But... Oh. But, you know, but there is... There is... Sorry, 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 I was just going to say, Mike, that's one problem I have, is when I interview people who I've occasionally criticised in print yeah. and I'm face-to-face, -face, it probably it might be hypocritical. I find it really difficult to, mm. to write negatively about anyone that I interview face-to-face because -face, that kind of natural empathy comes out. Yeah. Or maybe hip, natural hypocrisy, but maybe you don't, uh, you don't have that problem. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I've certainly been in situations like you in sort of various green rooms and suddenly you'll look across and there'll be somebody who's blocked you on Twitter and you'll go, hello, um, and then you sort of start talking I mean, one of them was Ian Blackford uh, actually from the SNP who I met out in Ealing at the TV studios and he was and we had a very funny exchange and he was like you're trouble blah 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 but we sort of had a, a friendly sort of bantery type conversation and the next uh, and the next night he was on um, I think Jeremy Carl said to him well, well uh, and they showed the, the message to me from him why don't you just unblock me and then he did, you know. So oh. there is there is hope, well, I think, that people one, can get one along. One quick story on that. Like, in, in my sports writing, there's one person over the last 20 years since I started that I've been pretty consistently negative towards. Mm. Occasionally, a bit unfairly, you know, really quite vicious, you know, those kind of polemical... Yes. And it's John Terry. Yeah. 
And then he's not a I, terribly likable character, John he's Terry. Not is he? a likable person. But then when he got onto the social media, he kept pushing out these photos on Instagram of him reading various of my books. Oh, really? So what a lovely. And I started. It was obviously trying to show that he's bigger than the criticism, right. partly, or either that, or he ne hadn't read it, or. And I thought, you know what? May maybe uh, I started feeling tremendously guilty. Mm. Yes, I mean, I think the real world is always preferable, isn't it, to the virtual one in almost every situation? But unfortunately, when it comes to the royals, you really can't be a judge of that because as you say even I mean there are plenty of people I know that have got to know certain members of the royal family but they probably would never know them terribly well um, and also I think we can't imagine what it must be like to live in that world well and one other thing and, and this is a real-life interaction with a member of the royal family um, during the Commonwealth Games last year remember they were in Birmingham mm. uh, my Vaguely. son uh, Vaguely, right? My son, Ted, uh, he wanted to go up and watch the table tennis. And I, as you know, a former Commonwealth mm. gold medal at, t at table tennis in 2002. So I said, yeah, OK, I'll take a day off. Um, so we got the train from Richmond uh, to Euston, then got the train up to Birmingham. Those were the days when you could get trains places, blimey. <laughs> exactly, in the dim and distant past. <laughs> And it was a Tuesday, so I typed out my sports column in the morning. So, my, you know, on the train on the way up there, my son sat there, you know, waiting patiently. I took an iPad along uh, and I finished the column just 10 minutes before we roll into Birmingham International. Mm. And I say, right, Ted, do you mind? I just need to use the, the bathroom. A bit of context, but it's important for the story. We were in first class. Right. So we went to the, 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 the toilet, the bathroom. I went inside. I said, Ted, just sit here on the seat there in the vestibule. I'll just be a couple of minutes, won't take long. Anyway, I go in, and I hear my son being accosted by a woman. Mm. Uh, are you here on your own? Are you okay? Because he's sat just on his own in the vestibule. Is, 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 is your mum or dad in the bathroom? He said, yeah, my dad's in the bathroom. I can hear these two people talking, and she's keeping him company, and they're getting on like... And then Ted says, oh, did you... We're on the way to the Commonwealth Games, and my dad won a gold medal, mm. and he's brought the gold medal with him, and he's... They're in a lovely conversation. Anyway, I, I, I wash my hands, and then I use the, the dryer. I think he's safe out there, so I take my time. And then I go out into the vestibule. We're sort of two minutes away from Birmingham International Station now. And I say, Ted, hey, sorry I took so long. And I looked over and I went, oh, my God, Kate. And it's Kate Middleton. Oh, really? On, on her own, right. no sign of security. It must have been security in the next carriage, I'm guessing. Right. Um, and she had been absolutely lovely with my son. And mm. I said, you're not going to believe it, Kate. You know, six, seven years ago, we once played a game of ping pong at a charity. She didn't remember, but we had a lovely chat. Uh, the, the train pulls into Birmingham International. It's about to leave. And Ted's like, Dad, don't we need to get out? He didn't know who we were talking to. Right. He could see my shock and surprise. But she didn't know I was a journalist. She didn't know anything about my son. She, I think it was just her kindness yes. to make sure he was OK, that he was safe, a lovely chat with me. And that, to me, indicated... She wasn't doing it on television. No. She wasn't trying to portray an image. I think she, you know, my sense is, and I hear this from other people, she's a decent, principled person yeah. who believes in the institution of monarchy. So there's one story that hasn't been filtered yes. by PR. And we all know people in our business and in, in the broader sort of entertainment business, um, and people have reputations which nobody ever finds right. out about because exactly. they behave in a certain way um, right. when they're on front, front, front and centre on camera, but very differently when they're not, you know? And I find that quite a fascinating scenario. But, I mean, just on a broader sort of front on Harry, I mean, 
without wishing to judge him or anything, he's, he seems to be going down a very self-destructive route here. I mean, he spent an awful lot of time taking an awful lot of drugs. Peter Hitchens today writes a piece saying, I wonder how much of that has affected the way he's now behaving. The fact that he's had this kind of very Californian-style therapy, which seems to have affected everything that he now does. I'm not sure where they go from here, really. I, I do think there's an interesting broader uh, subject here, which is the influence of psychotherapy, particularly mm. as practiced on the west coast of America. Yes. So a lot of it is sort of vaguely Freudian in its methodology, and it tends to look deep into childhood experiences yeah. and blame anything that is negative mm. on other people, particularly parents. Yeah. And that, I think, can be very destructive. Uh, in fact, there's very good evidence that if you constantly blame family members, parents, it can be destructive of the most important relationships yeah. in one's life. And when you track some of the people who have had West Coast therapy, it's kind of a good marketing tool for the therapists. Mm. It's, all, it's all other people's well, fault. Well, they're all making a fortune as well, aren't they? I mean, whoever is Harry's therapist is probably, you know, I was saying to somebody the other night, probably bought themselves a new house um, down in Baja, California, you know. But, but it's very much... Um, uh, a, a situation with him where he doesn't appear to be responsible for anything. You know, exactly. everything is somebody and, else's fault. And that's obviously very commercially um, successful for therapists mm. who can get people to say, it's nothing to do with me. Mm. The problem is, of course, in the long run, even though the therapists buy new homes and, and fast cars, the people who are paying expensive uh, amounts for this therapy, I think, are fundamentally damaged because yeah. the most important people in our lives often are family. And having some sense of the fact that, yes, I could criticise my parents for some of the things they did, but in general, I think you have to be sympathetic. I mean, now as a parent myself, I know I'm not doing things perfectly. You often do what the best right. for what you think at the time. Unless the people who you interact with are not prepared to give you the benefit of the doubt from time to time, I think that can be catastrophic. And, yeah. I, you know, just sort of what I have seen filtered through the media, it, it wouldn't surprise me if Harry is treading this very familiar but very dangerous route. Absolutely right, because as a parent, you want to try and uh, allow your children to grow into their own personalities and you hope that they will become fairly robust individuals because you know that at some point or other they will encounter hardship, they will encounter heartbreak, they'll encounter all sorts of things which they'll need to be able to deal with. And unless you give them that robustness, then they're not going to be able to, to help themselves. But this is one of the things that I struggle with as, as a dad. You know, I've mentioned Ted, you know, I've got a daughter called Evie, who's 10. And sometimes you think, OK, let's help them to develop some self-reliance. Yeah. I'm not going to help them with this homework. And then, of course, you can imagine them in 10 years' time saying, you never helped me with my homework. <laughs> but then if you help them too much, yeah. you can imagine in 10 years' time, you helped me so much I never developed any right. resistance. So getting that balance day by day is tough. Yeah. And that's why at the end just of... Just at this point, say, shut up and get back and wash my car. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I do, you know, I think in, in, in relationship, family relationships in particular, it strikes me that that institution of the family is the most powerful known to mankind. Mm. It's the greatest welfare state the world has ever known. I think of family members who care for each other in a way that could never be replicated by any state institution. Yeah. It's a, it's a re remarkably moving and profound thing. And I do sometimes worry in Western societies that we, we diminish devalue and overlook what families do for us and you know think about how corrosive west coast therapy yeah. is in, in that context oh totally and and we're sort of out of time but i would add as well that we have now got this kind of society which expects governments 
to help out when things go wrong. And, you know, I don't. I've never done that. I've never relied on politicians to be my salvation, which is why I'm not party political. I couldn't care less about who's in government. You know, my life is mine to make of, of it what I can and to share with, with members of my family. You know, but so many people now seem to think that if things are going wrong, the government must step in. And here's a grant for this and some, you know, disability uh, um, endeavours for that. You know, and I think it's wrong. One of the ironies of, of all of this, by the way, is that a lot of those people who have gone through West Coast therapy, blame their parents, they think they are perfect parents. Mm. They're not going to make the mistakes that our parents made. And of course, they are going to make mistakes. And they think their children are always going to love them 100%. And of course, they're going to go through difficulties too. I, I've seen it with a couple of my cousins, exactly this pattern. Mm. And I do worry that... Um, I mean, and, and the wider constitutional significance of this shouldn't be diminished. I mean, th this is a full frontal attack on the monarchy, a thousand-year-old institution that I think has served us well on balance. So I did, maybe, Mike, we need to go and read, read the book and, and, and look, at, look at it in a constitutional sense. To. Yeah, let's not do that. Um, but anyway, listen, good to talk to you, Matthew, as ever. Thank you very much indeed. Matthew Said, Sunday Times columnist and author of Rebel Ideas. Some great thoughts to come from that, by the way. Uh, and it's not just about, as we say, the single individual subjects of Harry versus William. It's about a lot more than that, which is why we keep talking about it, because it's not just the gossip of the royals. It's about an awful lot more.